Uh, if you would, in your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, this morning, we take a, another momentary pause from our regular study of the gospel according to Luke, and I want to address the matter of monetary giving and how that has any relevance to the worship of God at all. And in case you weren't here last week, the reason for addressing this topic today is because this whole concept of giving offering was the subject matter in view at the beginning of Luke chapter 21, which we saw last Sunday. And so today, I want to kind of expand on what we began to consider last week and address this topic with a more direct focus and search the Bible together for God's practical instruction on these matters. And so we'll be jumping around different passages, but let's begin by reading 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. This is what God's Word says. The point is this, that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we ask that you would teach us your way, O Lord, that we may walk in your truth. Unite our hearts to fear your name. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, When it comes to the matter of giving offering to the church, opinions and perceptions range all over the place. Uh, from one of deep skepticism, thinking that this is all just a big scam and people are being coerced into giving their hard-earned money to yet another man-made religious institution. It can range from that kind of outright skepticism to maybe simple indifference, uh, whether that be of just refraining from giving offering at all, or it be that you do give regularly, but you do so with a mindless spirit that just does so out of habit because that's what you're supposed to do. And I wonder if this is predominantly what can be said of many in the church. And not so much there's, there's a, a rebellious and defiant spirit against the notion of giving, but that we don't really know why we give monetary offerings. What's the deal with that? Which in turn then affects how we give our offerings. And so the problem is that our giving, even if we do give, is sometimes not not driven and governed by biblical conviction, but just thoughtless routine. And I think the reason for this, uh, the reason this has been lost on us is because in, in general, the church has shied away from clearly teaching from the Bible on what it says about money and offering because it's often viewed as a contentious and sensitive topic. But here's the thing. It's because there is a lack of teaching that there is a lack of clarity, which in turn leads to a lot of walking over eggshells and a sensitivity to the topic. It's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so that's why we need to come to God's word and, and seek to gain biblical clarity and conviction on the theology and practice of giving. And at the root, what we must understand is that God has prescribed monetary giving to be a rightful part of the believer's worship to him. That is to say that when we give, it's not just a financial donation that we are making, 
but that it is fundamentally a spiritual act of worship. And that's what we're going to unpack as we work our way through various passages of Scripture. And there's a lot to digest as we search the Bible concerning this subject. And I've tried to distill it down and organize it as simply as possible around just four basic questions. Okay, Who, why, what, and how? Uh, To be more precise, whom, that is, to whom are we giving when we give our offerings? And secondly, why are we called to give? And what are we called to give? And lastly, how are we to give? Now, before we tackle the first question, uh, I want to preface with two very, very important remarks. First, is that as elders of this church, we do not know who gives how much. Okay, that information is not visible to us and we do not want to know. That is between you and God. And so this sermon, this teaching is not from any kind of response to your giving or a response to some issue or some secret ploy to raise funds. This is just another biblical teaching for the instruction of the saints. Again, the only reason we're doing it now today is because the topic came up last week in our study of Luke's gospel as we saw the poor widow giving two copper coins as her offering. So that's the first little remark. And secondly, uh, if you're here and if you're, if you're new, we really, really mean it when we say that you should not feel any obligation to give. And in fact, if you're here today and you're not a believer, we sincerely do not want your money. We do not want a dime from you. I don't care if you have $10 million to, to give away. We don't want anything from you. Because what we want is for you to receive the riches of God's grace and mercy in Jesus Christ, of the free, undeserved gift of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life with Him. This is what the Bible is about. This is the gospel, the good news of God's grace, that you and I are hopelessly sinful and guilty before a holy God, which means that we are drowning in an infinite debt that we can never repay if you want to use financial terms. In a lifetime of good deeds and a lifetime of religious commitment, or you could give away billions of dollars to charity, but all of that could never earn back a right standing with God because we are sinners who owe an infinite debt for the wages of our sin, which is eternal righteous punishment. But what has God done? Rather than leaving sinners without hope, as he rightfully should. He, in his inconceivable mercy and sheer kindness, sent Jesus Christ, his son, to pay for the infinite price of the debt of sin we owe on behalf of sinners. And he paid it at the cost of himself by going to the cross, taking the place of sinners, and there on the cross, receiving the eternal and infinite wrath of God on behalf of those he came to save pouring out his soul into suffering and death. And he rose from the dead to call sinners to repent of their sin and trust in what he has done to save them from their sin. And so if you humble yourself and recognize and confess your spiritual bankruptcy before God, and you believe in Jesus' work on the cross as necessary and sufficient for you, then you will be forgiven of all the debt of your sin. And you will receive the infinite riches of God's full and unchanging acceptance in Christ. 
being adopted as his child, and the promise of eternal life with him in his heavenly presence forever. You see, if you're not a believer, what I want you to understand is that the gospel is God giving, not receiving anything from sinners, but God entirely and totally giving the best of himself to the worst of sinners, all to be received freely by faith. And that is what we want for you. We really, really want nothing from you. We want everything for you in Christ alone. And so understand that this this sermon is a word of instruction for those who already belong to Christ, who are the children of God. And our prayer is that you would come to Christ by faith, and only then you'll be able to understand the joy and the blessing of being able to give as an act of worship to God. And so with that said, church, we now consider the matter at hand. And let's begin with the first question. Who or to whom are we giving when we give? Now, this may seem like a patently obvious answer, and it should be. Uh, the answer is God. We give to God. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. So all throughout the Bible, we see that God's people were to bring their offerings to him, to the Lord, their God. A very, very simple answer. But the reason why we're starting here with this question is because even if we know the correct theological answer in our heads, sometimes our practical answer can be to still operate as though we're really giving to the church, as though the ultimate recipient is an institution, this organization. And of course, the local church is inseparable from the head of the church, the Lord himself. But this distinction is important because if our mindset is such that our monetary giving is ultimately to the local church, then we will begin to think purely in financial and business terms and not in spiritual terms. And so biblically speaking, we need to grasp this idea that giving is an act of worship to God. And so it is to God alone that we are giving our monetary offerings. And the local church is his ordained channel of receiving those offerings and then those funds being managed and used under the governance of biblically qualified leaders. That is the order that we see all throughout Scripture. Now, since you're already in 2 Corinthians 9, why don't you glance over to chapter 8 as Paul commends the churches of Macedonia for their generous giving toward the cause of the gospel. Paul says in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 8, For they, the Macedonians, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, now notice this, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. You see, they understood that all of their giving was chiefly to God. And the human instrumentality of the giving, according to God's will, was to the collection of the local church, which was then managed by spiritual leaders called by God. And by the way, this is one of the many reasons why it is absolutely essential that only biblically qualified leaders become leaders in the church. Elders need to be trustworthy, God-fearing men, proven faithful to the Lord and to his people. But the point is this, that our mindset needs to be that when we give, it is 
really and truly to God and God alone to whom we give. And the church is just the account and the steward of the Lord's money. Put it in practical terms, it means this, that the finances of NBC, of this church, doesn't belong to NBC. It doesn't belong to the elders, but it is the treasury of God's church. And we all, elders included, are under the governance of God's word as to how to use it, what to prioritize, what we are to value, what we are not to value, etc. And so listen, when you give offerings to NBC, you are not giving to NBC, but you are giving directly to God through this particular local channel that he has ordained. And hopefully you're giving to this church because you have a sense of confidence and trust and the faithfulness of the ministry of the gospel in this particular local church. And, and look, having this biblical mindset will guard us from a lot of uh, subtle, unhealthy, and dangerous thinking. Uh, you, you know, in our members' meetings, uh, just as this morning, uh, we, we always show every quarter all the finances so that there can be transparency and accountability so that the members know where the money is going, that it's not like the elders are using church funds to go on a cruise. That would be really, really bad and wicked and really illegal. Uh, but, but as members, when we look at the finances, if we operate off the mindset that our giving was first to this organization called NBC, then when we look at the numbers, we'll be tempted to think, hey, that's my money there. I remember how much I gave. That's my money. No, it ain't. It's the Lord's money. This is the financial report of his church. But that kind of thinking will very quickly lead us to a, to a spirit of entitlement. Uh, that, that's my money going into that expense. I don't like it. I want it to be used this way or that way. And in so thinking, we're, we're circumventing and superseding God's order of spiritual leadership governing his church. It's a very dangerous mindset. And this is the reason why some churches end up fighting about money because of this fundamental misunderstanding that when you give, you are really giving to God. And when it leaves your hands, it is not your money. I mean, none of it was your, your money anyway, even though the money you didn't give. But if you're going to insist on having that mindset, it would be better to not give at all because it's truly the Lord's money, His church. It all belongs to Him. And so this first question is essential to understand that giving offering is an act of worship to God and to God alone. He is the one to whom we give. And a proper understanding will guard us from a lot of dangers and snares. Now the second question of why we are called to give. And this is a good question to ask. Because if God is the giver of all things... Why does he call his people to give to him? And well, let's make that first part clear. Amen. God indeed is the giver of all things. Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Nothing that we have is anything that we haven't first graciously received from him. God doesn't need anything from us. Acts 17.25, the Lord of heaven and earth is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, but he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Psalm 50 verse 10, God says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Every penny in your bank account is mine. Everything in this world is mine. 
The, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, Psalm 24.1. And so if that's the case, why does God command us to give unto Him? Well, it's because it's for our good. It's for our benefit. It's for our gain. Because in so doing, He sanctifies us, teaches us, and grows us in the biblical mindset of stewardship. God's Word tells us that all that we have in life, our money, our jobs, our abilities, our intellect, our family, our children, our bodies, everything, it all belongs to Him. Nothing is yours in life. And so what is our life? It's a stewardship, a test of our faithfulness as a steward. God has stewarded to us all that we have. And the question is, Will we be found faithful with what's been entrusted to us, managing his belongings? So that on the last day, we might hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, the little in this life on earth, and now I will set you over much. And so by calling us to give, it's, it's God's way of raising us up to be his faithful servants, training us in biblical stewardship. And giving is the regular and healthy exercise that helps us remember that our treasures are not here on earth, but that we live to invest into the things of eternity. You know, we, we, we often pray, Lord, Lord, give me an eternal perspective. Help me to be eternally minded. And well, part of God's answer to that prayer is Him saying, okay, I will help you. I command you to give. Honor me with your wealth. Bring to me the first fruits of your labor. You see, God's commandments are blessings to us. They are gifts of grace to us, to teach us His ways, to sanctify us as His holy people. And obeying His commandments, it's not for God's benefit as though He needed to gain something from our obedience. But our, our obedience <clears throat> glorifies Him as we benefit and enjoy the blessings of walking and growing in holiness. And really, when we think about the Christian calling to regularly give it is such an important means by which God sanctifies us. Now remember, we talked about this a little bit last Sunday, but, but sanctification is, is simply growing in the likeness of God, into the image of Christ. And that's what godliness is. Godliness is to be more like God, God-likeness, and to reflect His glory and His image in our lives. And so God calls us to give of ourselves so that we might grow to resemble Him who is in and of Himself the perfection of self-giving love which we see most fully revealed in the person and work of God the Son who gave all of Himself to sinners like us. And so when we give, we are imitating God and growing in His likeness. It's for our deepest joy and satisfaction. Because as we give more of ourselves, the more we experience a more intimate fellowship with God as we imitate Him and we think like He does and we act like He does. Again, we may have prayed, Lord, I want to know You. I want to enjoy rich fellowship with You. And He says, yes, child, and here's one great way to do that. Give. Because that's what I do. And that's what I am. Eternally, freely, purely, 
the fountain of everlasting blessing. And as you give, you will be increasingly attuned to my heart and my character. And you will find yourself growing to be less self-centered and so less anxious, less envious, less discontent. It's all for your joy and blessing. You know, it's like raising children. Kids have to be taught constantly and regularly to share. Now, why is that so important? Because the default disposition of sinful human nature is to be self-centered and self-absorbed. Now, the point in instructing them to share is not to instill in the child just the, the mere concept of surrender for the sake of surrender, as though it's wrong for them to have anything. It's not to teach them some communist lesson that there's no such thing as private capital or personal belonging, but it's to teach the child to be mindful of others. The key lesson when you teach a child to share is to teach them the world doesn't revolve around you. That's why it's so important to teach them to share at a young age. Life is not about you. You are not the center of the universe. And, And if you raise a kid and never teach them to share, then they will grow up to become very toxic adults and prove to be very destructive to society and become leeches and know only how to consume everyone else's resources. But a loving parent raises one's child to be considerate, generous, others-oriented. And in the same way, by calling us to regular giving, God is teaching his little children. Life is not about you, dear child. The, The history of the universe is a single grand story of God's redemptive plan being unfolded and and Christ continually building his church as we speak. And so Christian, you are not the main character of the universe. In fact, Christian, you are not even the main character of your own life. Do you know that? But the, the meaning and the significance and the glory of your life is found in the work of God's grace in you to take you as his own and to make you into his workmanship so that he might display his glory through your ransomed life and soul. And our joy and crown is that we have the privilege of somehow being part of the tapestry of his grace and his redemptive work in history. And so you see, giving is just one of the many ways in which we live out this reality and renew our minds with the proper perspective of God's glory at the center of our lives and being. This is why God calls us to give, not because he needs anything from us, but it's for our sanctification, that he might make us more outward-facing as we were made to be. It's a very tender and loving instruction from our Father in heaven to raise us up after his likeness. Now we come to the third question. The third question is this, what are we to give? What exactly is it that I am giving? What is this offering meant for? Which then determines what the offering is. And the answer is this. That God has intended our monetary offering to be used for the building up of his church. I'm not talking about church building. I'm talking about building up of his church. The the ministry of the gospel and the fellowship of the saints. And so a Christian's giving to the local church is the monetary contribution 
of supporting the church's expenses in the ministry of the gospel. I mean, simply put, gospel ministry is not without financial cost. I mean, from the most basic things as printing Bibles, it's not free. I mean, ink is not free. Paper is not free. But even within the context of a local church, keeping the lights on in this building, paying rent, paying staff, I mean, all that kind of stuff. There is, a, there is expenses to be made. Gospel ministry on earth, as God designed it and ordained it, is not possible without financial expenditure. Now, does God need to use money, human currency, to spread his gospel and build his church? Of course not. God can do anything he wants, any way he wants. But God ordained it this way to use such crude means such as earthly resources. I mean, even to use the crude means of human vessels and human lips to preach his gospel. But it's also that he might give us the privilege of partaking in the work of his kingdom. It is God's gracious condescension to give us a very lowly earthly means of engaging in heavenly work. It's him bringing his invisible supernatural work down to our level of the visible, natural, and tangible things. You know, when, when we get new, new furniture uh, and, I, and I'm building the thing, my, my two-year-old son always wants to come and bring his little toy hammer and join me in the work. He really wants to help. And, uh, of course, he's not really able to help. I don't need his help. And probably the best help he can give me is just to kind of leave me alone so that I can focus on building the thing. But what do I do? I, I stoop down to his level. And after practically doing everything, I say, okay, can, can you come here and hammer this here for me? And he comes and goes, bang, 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 bang. It was really not that helpful. But then I go, oh, thank you, thank you. That was so helpful. And he's so pleased and happy to feel useful to his daddy. But that is the loving spirit with which God has ordained his kingdom work to be fueled by our little monetary giving. He needs none of it. But he has determined to use it. That he might give to us and share with us the joy of his work with his little children. And and church, this should encourage you. Because I, I, I know that not all of you are, are gifted to, to teach the word and, and shepherd souls and all that stuff. But look at the kindness of God. That he hasn't left you in the dust. God hasn't said, only those who are particularly endowed with biblical knowledge and insight or, or oratory skills can be useful to my kingdom. But as we see in the parable of the dishonest manager in, in Luke 16... That even through the means of unrighteous wealth, that is, the wealth that belongs to this unrighteous world, this age, even through those means, that you can make a dent in eternity. You see, God has made it so accessible to every believer that you can play a pivotal role in the contribution of the ministry of the gospel with your faithful and generous giving. Because apart from financial support, this church will not survive especially in the Bay Area. That's just economic reality. But listen, this is such an important encouragement to those of you, especially who who are working. Because what can often feel 
like a boring and tireless job. When you begin to look at your job from the biblical lens of stewardship and giving, suddenly your otherwise mundane, ordinary job has been imbued with extraordinary, eternal significance. Because God has entrusted that job to you so that by your diligence and faithfulness in that, He would provide you the means to be able to contribute to the building up of His church. You know, if I can exhort, especially the young folks, that there is a glory and dignity to just working and working hard at the job that God has given to you. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to look for other jobs as God leads you to new opportunities. Those are wonderful blessings, to be sure. But, you know, we live in this new generation where it's so driven by chasing after the next big thing, the next shiny job, constantly shooting for the dream job instead of just finding a job and keeping a job and being faithful at the job, no matter how small and boring it might be, until the Lord calls you elsewhere. Because he who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And he who is unfaithful in very little is also unfaithful in much. You know, the, the younger generation has a lot to learn from the older generation of just steady, diligent, hard work over decades. And the older folks in this room are to be commended and learned from as worthy examples in that regard. But, but this isn't just a lesson on work ethic, although that's good. But the point is that in Christ, even what is ordinary and mundane can be redeemed and leveraged for the sake of the gospel, such that a simple job is God's simple and gracious means of entrusting to us wealth, whether a little or a lot, so that we might be faithful and generous stewards to contribute to the building up of His church. Now, under this question of what are we to give, there's a very practical element, which undoubtedly many of you are wondering, what amount does God want me to give from what he's given me. How much must I give? And this question often coincides with the question of tithing in the Old Testament, giving 10%. And whether or not that's still binding and mandated for New Testament believers today. Now this is a very lengthy discussion, which I don't have time to get into. And, and many, I should say that many faithful brothers and sisters hold to different views. But to boil it down simply, I believe that the answer is technically no. That tithing is not mandated in the New Testament. Now before you go, hooray, uh, I think the New Testament believer is actually called to even greater giving, which I'll show in a moment. But the main reason why I don't think it continues today is because tithing was a mandatory requirement of, of 10% that was unique to Old Testament Israel. In the Old Testament Israel, it was a very unique nation, not like the other nations, because it was a theocracy in that God was directly governing the nation. This was a state church and a church state, completely unique in the world. And so the tithing, in some respect, it almost served as kind of a taxation purpose also. And so the tithes would fund the Levites, who were full-time ministers at the tabernacle and later the temple. Uh, some of the tithes uh, were distributed to the poor. And there's a debate about whether the Old Testament tithes were just 10% or if there were actually three distinct tithes that come out to far more than that. But regardless of the debate, the point is that in the Old Testament, 
Tithing was a mandatory payment. But when we see giving discussed in the New Testament, it is always described as a voluntary giving from a heart of generosity. Now again, some might say, well, that's great. I can give whatever I want, whatever my heart desires and proceed to give 1%. Uh, No, that's not a generous heart. That's a stingy heart that hoards money. I'm not even talking about the percentage. I'm talking about the attitude. And so let me put it like this practically. I don't believe that Christians are under the binding mandate to give 10%. However, 10% is probably a really helpful number to start at. And if you're unable to start there, then it's a very good immediate goal to reach for and get to. And I remember when I, when I got my first job out of college, what was so helpful was to look at the paycheck and uh, just immediately in my head calculate and just set apart 10% for, for offering such that I would not see what I, the number I see on my paycheck as, ah, this is what I get, got, but 10% less than that. And the rationale being that, well, you know, if it's wise and sensible for people to put aside 10% of their paycheck as untouchable investments for their future retirement... I mean, why wouldn't we do so as believers for our eternal future? To invest unto unfading treasures. Now, now why do I say 10% is a good place to start? Because the better analogy in the Old Testament to inform our giving is not the tithe, but it's the free will offering for which there was no limit. Now, turn your Bibles to Exodus 25. Uh, This is precisely along the point of how our monetary giving is for the purpose of building up the church. And in Exodus 25, after Israel enters into a covenant relationship with God, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai where God gives him precise instructions on building the tabernacle, which was the moving tent where God would physically dwell with his people on earth. And the instructions begin in Exodus 25, and it says this in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they may take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive a contribution for me. And this is the contribution you shall receive. Gold, their gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twine linen, on and on, oil, spices, and says, let them make me a sanctuary with all these materials freely contributed and gathered. Let, me, let them make me a sanctuary with it, verse 8, that I may dwell in their midst. Now later in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God would also prescribe the mandatory tithe of 10%. But for the tabernacle, it was to be funded by the free voluntary contribution of his people who wanted the privilege of partaking in the building up of God's dwelling place on earth. And again, later, when the temple was to be built in First Chronicles 29, you can turn there if you want to, uh, David himself there, he, he contributed literally tons of his own gold and silver from his own belonging for Solomon, his son, to build. And, and it says in First Chronicles 29 that David then called out to others and said, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? And then the leaders of fathers' houses made their freewill offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders, the officers. And they gave for the service of the house of God 
5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord. And then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly for with the whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. Now, you know how much was collected? You know how much they gave all those numbers? If you convert the units in today's dollars, this comes out to more than $15 billion in gold and about $400 million in silver. And I don't know about bronze and iron. It seems like a lot. But they rejoiced that they were able to give that much. It was a joy to have a hand at contributing to the building up of God's holy temple in the Old Testament age. And so how much more for us in the New Testament age where God's temple is most fully revealed in the church, the body of Christ, the household of God, Ephesians chapter 2. And so this brings us to the final question, which we've basically answered already. How are we called to give? In what manner and spirit? Well, if you go back to 2 Corinthians 9, as verse 7 tells us, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We are called to give freely and cheerfully, bringing the, the, the first fruits to God, the, the, the best of our offerings as an act of worship. The, the giving that God is pleased with is not the amount of the gift, but the spirit of the giver. We should all seek to be like the Macedonians that Paul mentions in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 4. Remember what it says? That they begged us for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They were begging for the privilege of giving for the cause of the gospel. Now that is a free will offering that is pleasing to God. God is not impressed with the amount of our giving. He looks at the heart. And yet at the same time, as we saw last week in Luke 21, it is only inevitable that the amount, especially the proportion of our giving, it does reveal our hearts. And so we are to give freely and cheerfully, but also sacrificially. Luke 21, which we saw last week, it says that Jesus, he looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins which were basically worth nothing, literally pennies. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Why? Because they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. It wasn't the abundance that was the issue. But it was the amount that they gave compared to the abundance that they possessed. That is to say that it was not sacrificial, but it was easy and menial. Just like Cain, who brought whatever leftovers were lying around and brought it to God. Versus Abel, who brought the first fruits to God and the fat portions from the flock. 
Now, sacrificial giving doesn't mean that you starve yourself or that you don't provide for your family. You don't save up for a house or, or you plan for the future. That would be legalistic asceticism that can only lead to uh, workspace self-righteousness. But sacrificial giving means that if we are giving uh, out of our abundance, such that our giving doesn't involve conscious thought and, and sacrificial generosity, then perhaps it's worth reevaluating if we are actually being as generous as we could be. If the amount we give is way too comfortable, perhaps it's because it costs us too little. And let every man and woman seek the Lord's guidance for themselves in their own honest conscience before Him in prayer. But let me ask you this. Has it ever crossed your mind that when God blesses you with more, whether it's through a promotion, a better paying job, uh, a windfall, that when God blesses you with more, His primary intent in blessing you with more is not to raise your standard of living, but to raise your standard of giving. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Now again, it's not to say that we can't enjoy the, the blessing of a better standard of living as if the godly thing to do is to forever live in a studio apartment with your wife and three kids. My goodness, that's like living in a, in a cage in the, at the zoo. But the issue is, is one of, of mindset and priority. Because frankly, often it, it doesn't even cross our minds. Just that when we gain more, our instinct is to focus everything on fulfilling all of our desires. And then whatever we have left over, maybe we give some of that. But that is really the mindset of giving to God our last fruits. It's not about the amount, but it's about the mindset. Now compare that to King David. If you remember in 2 Samuel 24, uh, he was called to build an altar to the Lord to offer sacrifices. And when he went to purchase a threshing floor uh, on which he would build the altar, he went to go purchase it from this man named Aruana, the Jebusite. He said to David, oh, you want to build an altar to God? Here, why don't you take it for free? I'll give it to you. Remember what David said? He said, no. I will buy it from you for a price because I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. Now that is a worshipful spirit. That is how we are called to give. Cheerfully, freely, without compulsion, and sacrificially. Again, let me remind us that God does not need our sacrifice. He alone is the one who has provided the all-sufficient eternal sacrifice through His Son. But sacrificial giving is for our sake, for our well-being, to loosen our grip on this world, to strengthen us in the battle against materialism and idolatry, which we are immersed under in our culture in an affluent region. And at the end of the day, 
our giving must be in proportion to, not ultimately our income, but in proportion to our love for Christ and His church. It is our love for God's kingdom that must be the driving force of our giving. To long to see the gospel spread and to desire to see His church sustained and grown that more sinners might come to receive the free gift of the riches of His grace. And so you see, the most faithful giver is the one who gives with the mindset of an evangelist. And church, may that be true of us here at NBC. It's not about the money and the finances. The Lord will supply whatever we need. But it's about the spirit of true worship and joyful thanksgiving unto God who has blessed us abundantly. And what a kindness and gift from God that He would be pleased to use such ordinary means and ordinary people with our measly earthly riches and our little unimpressive church to showcase the glory of Christ to the world around us. And let us be amazed by it all and so gladly offer to him the first fruits and the fat portions of all that we have and all that we are because we are not our own. But by the grace of God, we belong entirely to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the riches of your grace and kindness in Christ our Lord. Thank you that you have ransomed sinners like us and taken us for yourself, that we might belong to you forever. Oh Lord, help us to give and to see our giving in light of your gospel. Would you guard us from greed and love of money? But may our generosity flow from our conscious awareness and thanksgiving of our union with Christ, in whom we have only received and received freely. And as we prepare now to take the bread and the cup, would you please use these elements to renew our minds and confirm our wholehearted belonging to you and to set our eyes to the things above, to Christ, where he is seated on high. In his name we pray. Amen.